You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for Sports Talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk. For Monday, May the 6th, I'm your host, D.A., and the Kentucky Derby was one to remember, but for a lot of the wrong reasons. For the first time in the Derby's long, prestigious history, we had a winner disqualified. The betting favorite, Maximum Security, came in first, right? But after a prolonged, interminable, difficult-to-stomach video review, it was declared that because of jostling on the track and contact between horses, maximum security was no longer the champion. Instead, 65-1 to underdog country house was your Kentucky Derby champion. Now, the owners of maximum security plan to file an appeal with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, but for now... It's controversy. So let's start with whether they made the right call at the Derby. Here's Dan Walken from USA Today, who joined 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. Did the stewards make the right call? Look, it's a tough decision. I understand all the factors and what happened in the race. I just fundamentally kind of believe that the Kentucky Derby is not the same as any other race i think the standard for disqualification of a horse who crosses the wire first should be really really high and i thought maximum security was pretty clearly the best horse on saturday and and the derbies are 20 horse field it's a crazy race there's always a lot of bumping and a lot of uh, shifting and it's it's very rarely run as a clean race and so i i just thought the stewards in my opinion uh, applied too low of a standard for maximum security and uh, I didn't really agree with the disqualification. Dan could you kind of take us through uh, exactly how that all went about because the one thing I had a problem with more than anything else and I I know a little bit about the horse game Uh, I spent a lot of my youth uh, out of Del Mar at at the uh, thoroughbred club out there and I still go to this day uh, and, uh, you know, I had a problem, I guess, because the stewards aren't the one that called for the inquiry. Right. Yeah. I think may, maybe people who aren't familiar with horse racing don't understand that after the race is over, uh, if there's an incident in the race, uh, the stewards can launch their own inquiry, which gives them time to, to review what they saw, or uh, a jockey can lodge an objection. And, and in this case, the stewards did not initiate that process on their own. Uh, which seems to indicate that that during the viewing of the race they didn't see any problem, uh, but it was when the jockeys uh, objected that they took a second look. And you know, I mean, I, I think that sort of leans into the idea that that these stewards maybe uh, didn't want to do this. But I, I don't. It's without knowing the deliberations that took place and all the things they considered in making this decision. It's it's just hard to say kind of what, what happened in that room with you know three people deciding to take a Kentucky Derby winner off the board. It's a pretty dramatic move, and I don't think it's nearly as cut and dried as some people want to 
make you believe. I mean, uh, you're you're seeing different opinions from you know a lot of uh, colleagues that have written stories on this since Saturday, and I'm sure you've gotten tremendous feedback from your column as well. Where where does the general public stand on this? You think? Who knows? I've seen a lot of different response from the emails I've gotten. It's kind of fifty fifty. Uh, but I, I just think the Kentucky Derby is such an unusual horse race, and it's the one race that everybody uh, in America watches and pays attention to. And, you know, I, I certainly they've created conversation. I mean, typically huh. the Derby ends, and, and I'm not doing radio shows talking about what happened. Uh, but I'm doing a bunch of them today because this is a pretty controversial thing. So maybe in that sense it's something that uh, is good. But really I, I just hate the idea that, uh, you have to take down a Derby winner, um, unless you know he clearly would not have won the race otherwise. And I just don't think that that happened in this case. I'm with Dan here. I mean, you have to, to me, have without a shadow of a doubt evidence that there was a real problem on the track to strip away a championship at the Kentucky Derby for the first time ever. To me, watching this has seemed like too extraordinary of a call to make in that instance, but also more evidence that video review is ruining sports. We've gotten too deep into the weeds here because of HD and slow motion and all these different camera angles. We have now allowed the video review people to dictate the champions in sports, and that can't happen. It's ruining everything. But when you see something like this that happened on Saturday, does it vault horse racing into the national conversation more than it normally is, or will it always just simply be a fringe sport? Here's the Ken Carmen Show on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Did maximum security get screwed over? 216-578-0092. The horse doesn't care. Why should I? Yeah. What did the horse say in the post-game post-race press conference? The jockey said something. The jockey pushed the horse over to the side and got in the way of what? Of Country Squire or Country House? Country House Ooh. is what its name is, right? I don't. It was know. sixty-two to one or sixty-five to one by the time they they and they were off. Like I just, I tried to care. It's one of those things that I know I'm supposed. Uh, they told me I was supposed to care about because there wasn't a a, a um, triple crown winner, and I don't care. I think now it's that just, there's one, I I don't care. I, Kenny, I don't th- care. I think it's just the tradition of it. I, I don't think if it was. Uh, in a vacuum, and there was just a horse race, and didn't call it anything, and they didn't have the drinks, they didn't have, you know, the dresses, and they didn't have the hats. I think if that wasn't a part of it, there is no Kentucky Derby. I think uh-huh. that's why there's interest. By the way, the ratings were huge. Oh, yeah, the the They're whole huge. They went up twenty percent from last. I, year. I get the party. We had a listener down there who did Super Bowl Super Browns from oh, the party. That's right. So I get the party aspect of it. Mint juleps. I've I've never really had a mint julep. I'm sure it's a fun drink. Have you had? You probably had one Saturday, yeah, we right? Had them all all day. Were Saturday. they good? Are they good? What do they taste like? Uh, what? It's just it's just bourbon. It's okay. Know. I'm sure it's a fun drink. Is there you a fringe? Muddle. Do that muddling. Is there a fringe sport or a regular sport that you just you don't care about? Because it is just I, never going to be. I on think my it was NASCAR. Level. I mean, really, it was NASCAR for me. Yeah. Uh, and now it's become <laughs> honestly, honestly, it's become boxing too. And I know boxing's having a resurgence. Uh, I, I look, loved boxing growing up. Every pay per view was must watch with Tyson and Lennox Lewis and so on and so on. And now I just I can't keep track of everybody. I don't. 
know who the best guys in the world are because it depends on what network shows them. Now you've got that DAZN, PBC, DAZN, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the Canelo fight. Look, I, I, I didn't make any attempt to go see the Canelo fight over the week. I heard it was a great fight. You think the horse is really bothered? You know how much sex that horse is about to have? You think that horse is bothered whatsoever? No. <laughs> Two one six five seven eight double zero ninety two. That will conclude I'll, our horse talk. I'll care about your call next year, right before the Kentucky Derby. We know the bit here. For eighteen seconds every single year, everybody in the universe is a horse racing fan. For those final eighteen seconds of the race, everybody seems to know or thinks that they know exactly what should happen, and nobody knows anything. It's an excuse to party, which is fine. An excuse to dress up, which is fine, but let's not act like it's anything really more than that. A day at the horse track is a lot of fun, but let's not act as though horse racing become anything more than fringe because of a simple day that people like to drink bourbon and dress up in funny hats. Speaking of funny hats, what is Tom Brady doing? Oh, my God. Look at that hat. Here's Dale and Keith on WEEI in Boston. That hat was ridiculous. I mean, what? Are we, I mean, I know he can wear whatever he wants, and blah, 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 blah. and he can usually pull it off. But, but what the hell was that? I don't know. That was such a dumb hat. It really was. It was a dumb hat. Hey, he, the whole thing is really dumb. Let's be honest. The whole Kentucky. Derby, That's what I was trying to say on Friday. Like, Everyone's like, "Oh, you would go. You would." Love. We had a caller calling. He's like, "You gotta go. You gotta, gotta go. go. I, gotta I don't. Go. I don't gotta go anywhere." I don't have to do anything. I think the women, what they, that's like the scene. The fascinator. All that. They, 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 that's what it's called. <laughs> we, we learned, I, that we learned last this last week. week. Yeah. It's a va- it, because that's, fascinator. That's what they call that's the, what hats. the hats called. That's what oh. they call the hats. I'm yeah, looking yeah, yeah. at Linda Holiday on Instagram. Oh, she looks great. Sure you are. She's got the fat. No, but she's with, <laughs> she's with Danny Amendola. Yeah. Uh, Julian Edelman, Matt Castle, Tom Brady. In Matt the, in the, Castle. In the, in the, uh, Wherever they Forest are. Ranger hat. And Bill Belichick. And she's got the fascinator yeah. going. They're all having a great time. And Bill but Belichick's like, get these studs yeah. out of here. He looks, he looks actually very happy. They just want to dress up. Like but that's yeah. all it is. They want to dress up. I guess have some drinks. I guess and then just yell at horses. That's fine. But like, the, come on, the women, the what a fascinator. Yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. well and good. But right. then the dudes start throwing hats in the mix. Like, what are you? A lot doing? of dude hats we saw. Like it used to be just about the suits. I think yeah. that's fine. Wear a snappy suit. Sure, Don Cherry, get in there. You'd look great. There. Don Cherry would fit right in nicely. I would, I would say. But the hats are just the it's hat just, is just it's so a bad silly. look. It I don't is. mind the ladies. The men's hats are just a <laughs> tiny bit. That's but, Dale's motto, actually. Just, I don't, I don't mind that. the ladies, but the men's hats just don't do it for me. I mean, and and Brady's got that Smokey the Bear hat going. It's outrageous. It's like oversized. It doesn't look like it belongs to him. It just it's very odd. I mean, I'm no fashionista, Dale, but I just, I, I saw you, that. You hat. take that back. No, I know, but I thought some of the other guys very sharp dressed. They look very good. Garoppolo always looks sharp. I like court. to consider myself a hat aficionado. And Sean's I a big hat guy. Are big you? hat guy. Shine out is. on those hats. He's out on them. Yeah. Big hat guy, though, Sean. Like, is. I'll wear a sombrero every once in a while. Is but that right? Oh, Cinco de Mayo. You must have been. Oh, I was partying it up. Did you guys do my skinny girl tequila mix over the weekend? I did not. Should I should have <laughs> taken that into consideration. That's all right. Do it tonight. I was actually at your door. You said we were going to no, 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 no. No, no, no. I said do it at your house. No, but, but I was knocking. No, no, no. Nobody no. answered. I wasn't home. I did. I did oh, both cars were in the driveway. Yeah, we weren't home. We took a long walk. <laughs> Heard your dog <laughs> barking. No, no, he wasn't home. But either. your wife's pregnant. Yeah, but yeah. she needed exercise. She, yeah, she wasn't. Needed there. to get out there. Did, right. did you do the key Farida? Of course, yeah, it's delicious. 
It's a nice little. It's a nice little Cinco de Mayo beverage. How many or can you say, handle those? Seis de Mayo, Siete de Mayo, <laughs> Ocho de Mayo, Cuatro de, de Mayo. It's all good. How many? No, you only want a couple of those. Let's, let's try de Junio. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Just keep going. No, you you don't want to go crazy with that. I mean, you can really hurt yourself. So, please drink responsibly. It's always also been my motto. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. For See, cleaning that up Not for bad. us. It's terrible. And Tom Brady has plenty of these instances over the course of his career where with a dummy haircut or a dopey outfit or something that he was dancing to or wearing, he made himself look like a complete and utter dork. Now, he wins a lot of championships, so that's all that really matters. But, oh, God, that whole bro fest at the Kentucky Derby led by King of the Dopes, Tom Brady wearing the dopey hat is just the peak of idiocy. When you watch it, give me a break. To the NBA playoffs, where Game 3 goes to the Houston Rockets. And what a rough Game 3 it was for Steph Curry. Capped off by him blowing a wide-open dunk in overtime with nobody around him. The rim stuffing him. Is there reason to be worried about Steph? Here's Joe Lowe and Dibbs. 95-7 the game in San Francisco. Is there something serious to be concerned about here, Debs? Yes, without a doubt. You look at the body of work in the playoffs, certainly in the recent playoffs, and you have to wonder what's going on because he's not making the open shots, and obviously some of the tougher shots that we're used to him making, he's not hitting those either. And additionally, that same bugaboo of foul trouble continues to beleaguer him. So you get foul trouble, you don't get the same level of shooting accuracy, you can point the blame a number of different directions, but ultimately it's on number 30 who has to play better. Unfortunately for number 30, he's now, uh, you know what he's shooting on dunks this season? His percentage on dunks. Shaq, for example, probably 100% one season, right? He goes for a dunk, he makes all of them. Do you know what Steph is on dunks this year? I, th- I would say five of seven would be my guess. So 25%. Really? He's 25%. It is the worst among 348 NBA players who have at least three attempts. 25%. That obviously, whatever. The cherry on top of a bad game at the end. But do you see something is significantly wrong with him right now? Uh, I don't think nothing significantly wrong with him. I think it's above the shoulders. It's mental. Steph Curry's lost his confidence. Steph Curry, you can see it. The reason why he's trying to slam the ball, that was it, that's something he doesn't do. It's pretty much out of character. He's doing that because he's frustrated. And he goes, I'm just going to slam it. That's that take out some of my frustrations. Too bad they're not in Memphis where somebody needs to take him to get some barbecue and say, hey, let's, let's talk. Let's figure this thing out. Steph Curry, when you even great ones at times lose their way and lose their confidence. In the playoffs, Steph is right now, you see him. He's continuing to struggle. It's a reason why he's getting in trouble on defense, getting in foul trouble early. Why? It's because he's trying to make it up more on the defensive side because he knows his offensive game is struggling. When you're reaching for something as an athlete, when you're reaching for something, you're trying to be and you know that you can do something well and all of a sudden you're, something great's not happening, you might try to, if it's football, you're going to say, I'm going to block a little harder. I'm going to do something. If you're a great receiver and you're dropping everything, what are you going to do? You're going to block, try to block guys on sweet plays. You're going to do other things, block downfield, run better rub routes to get other guys open. Sometimes you're in a situation where you are trying to defer. He's trying to get going, trying to get things going. But right now, it's mental. Steph Curry, you go one for three at the line. That's not Steph Curry. Steph Curry, right now, mentally, he is struggling. 
Like, that was an all-time dud of a shooting performance. He was 0 for 6 in the restricted area, second half and overtime. And he was, I believe, something in the neighborhood of, like, 3 for 10 on wide-open shots. He just, he just played terribly. I don't see that maintaining. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have that classic Steph bounce-back game, but I think law of averages here. His game comes up a little bit. Clay's comes up a little bit. Gordon's comes back a little bit. Durant and Harden keep balling, and then the game's won in the margins because all of these have been tight games to begin with. I like where you're going with that. I think that when you start to think about the margins, as you mentioned it, of this game, it's what Houston did so well in Game 3, which is rebounding and hustle plays. If Houston wins in the margins again, which is on the glass where they had a plus-20 rebound advantage, then all bets are off. If the Warriors exert more effort and they show more determination on the defensive end like they did in games one and two, then I think you're right because you can't look at Steph Curry and expect him to have that poor of a performance. You go to basketball reference and they have a thing called game score, which rates the overall performance of an individual player. And that was one of the four worst games Steph has played this year, regular season or postseason, based on game score alone, shooting percentage, turnovers, fouls committed, etc. So you figure even if Steph plays mediocre and Clay plays mediocre, that's worth probably eight more points than what they scored in Game 3. Yeah, there is reason to be worried about Steph Curry. I don't think there's reason to be worried about the Golden State Warriors just simply because of how Kevin Durant's playing. The fact that Kevin Durant right now can own any shot, can make any shot, can get any shot off, and there really is no defense for him means that the Warriors should be fine. Even after losing game number three, they've got a long way to go before they get eliminated by the Rockets. But I think worries about Steph Curry definitely continue to present themselves. And that's because whether it's the ankles or now the dislocated finger or just shooting slumps or foul trouble or whatever, Steph can go into slumps. And maybe this is simply physical problems. Maybe this is simply just the fact that he's banged up, he's injured. But if the Warriors didn't have KD doing what KD's doing, they'd be in problems. They'd be in trouble. Fortunately for them, that's not the case because Durant is good enough to carry that team even after a Game 3 victory by the Rockets. Although, if Houston gets Game number 4, now suddenly they got a lot of momentum going back to Golden State where they had two very close games in Game 1 and Game 2. And at some point in time, they should be able to figure out a slight defense of Kevin Durant, although at the point that he's playing, maybe not. In Philadelphia, a great win by the Toronto Raptors to split the series at two games apiece. And once again, Joel Embiid is a question mark. Is he injured? Is it the knee? Is it a virus? Is he puking? Is he vomiting? Is he coughing? Is he sneezing? What is going on in Philadelphia? Why is there so much drama around Embiid? Here's Angelo Cataldi, WIP in Philly. I just wonder if people are getting sick of what's going on with Embiid and all this drama all the time. I am. I am. I love him as a player. I love his personality, and I'm sick of the drama. Play the damn game. You always got a problem. Always. Five years. I've never dealt with a guy five years have more problems than this guy. It's true. It's mm. unbelievable. All right. Anyway, let's get to uh, uh, Brett Brown talking about all the drama. Here's what we have to say. 
you know, I, I got a text from him at 6.20 a.m. this morning telling me, like, he didn't sleep all night. He'd really never felt this poorly, and he was unsure, Coach, if I'm going to play. I just want to give you a heads up. I'll try, but I don't know. To his complete credit, you know, he just kind of willed his way through it. Oh, please. Uh, don't give me the profile and coverage today, because then you tell me what the symptoms are. And, and this is uh, the meeting before the game. Listen yeah. to the symptoms. It's a virus. And, you know, all during, like, pregame film, you can hear him sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. And you, you try to ignore it and, like, just coach through it and show the plays, the pregame tape. But I'd be lying if I were to tell you it wasn't uh, completely on my mind as I'm talking to the team, showing the tape, oh, listening and seeing him. That had to give them a lot yeah. of energy. Well, everybody else is going to get sick. Yeah, they will. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, um, in his uh, comedy, Marcus Hayes, who took down and beef for this stuff, uh, he said, uh, uh, Michael uh, Jordan in uh, game five of the 1997 finals had a vicious flu and still prevailed with 38 points and won the game. Mark Teixeira spent a day barfing and then t- hit two home runs for the Braves in uh, 2007, 2010. Brett Favre led the Vikings over the Washington Redskins with pneumonia. So give me, the guy was sneezing. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no, he's got a cold. Oh, no, how will we survive? Joel has a new problem. He's got a cold. Give me a break. Oh, how annoying is that? Anyway, uh, let me get to the last thing here. Uh, this is where uh, Embiid himself was. Now you'll hear his glum tone. Mm-hmm. As he explains his illness. No, man, game two was just my stomach, but this one seems to be everywhere with headaches and all that. This is great. This is the best. Joe, play that one more time. Al, could you analyze this as our medical advisor here on our show this morning? Let's let's listen again to the No, man, game two was just my stomach, but this one seems to be everywhere with headaches and all that. Oh, oh man! And then uh, right after that, he oh. was asked. That there was some great intense questioning out from uh, both John Johnson, who will be out later in the show, mm. and uh, David Uram, who now works oh, for KYW. He's very good. And uh, basically, uh, one of them, I'm, I'm not sure which one, asked him what percent he was. And here's what he said. What percent were you playing at, Joel? Do you think 20%, 30%? 100%. That's Australian, that yeah. guy. Yeah, 100%. That right. sounded like you ran uh, with an uh, what accent. you saw, he ended up with 11 points. <laughs> he was two <laughs> for seven from the field. Missed three huge free throws at the very end. Yep. And was playing at 100%, even though he had an IV and called a coach at 620. And a point. cough after he spoke. And, and <clears throat> <clears throat> what are you saying, Jonesy? <laughs> Tough <laughs> Give me a break. All right, give me a break. <laughs> and by the way, that's not the only guy getting it today. Although he's, you know, he's my big star. I got to go to him first, right? He's not Ben Simmons. Yeah. My goodness. Tobias Harris. Oh, oh, Ben Simmons. There's a lot. Ben Simmons. I didn't even get to that guy yet. Part of the reason that the 76ers are so volatile, so up, so down, so unpredictable in what they can give you is because Joel Embiid, that's his personality. He could be so down to the dumps, or he could be so joyous. He is just such a roller coaster emotionally. He's caught in a glass case of emotion. And that is what defines the Sixers, because Embiid is unguardable when he's healthy and dominant. 
nobody in the NBA can really go up against him. But how often do you get that? And I think that's why Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and the 76ers can feel so sporadic and so inconsistent because I think they're waiting to see what Embiid gives them, what type of effort he's going to give them. But every day there is something else that makes you wonder, oh, is this not going to be a good Embiid day? Is this going to be a good Embiid day? And they all feed off of that. Finally, on the other side of that ledger, Kawhi Leonard was just a monster. 39 points and 15 rebounds in that game, number four victory. Stealing back home court advantage for the Raptors. Now at two games apiece, they get to go back to Toronto for game number five and try to seize control of the series again. As great as Kevin Durant is right now, is Kawhi the best player in the postseason? Here's Sekou Smith of NBA.com. He's on the morning show. John Fricky, Hugh Douglas, 92.9 in Atlanta. The best player right now playing in the playoffs, is it Kawhi Leonard or is it KD? Man, that's a great question, Hugh. I think it's, honest to goodness, I think it's Kevin Durant because of uh, the fact that he can score in ways that really nobody else can. Um, but if I had to choose between the two myself, I might take Kawhi. Um, it's that size, he's so man. That, defensively. Yeah. You know, it's just when you got a guy who can play both ends as effectively as Kawhi can, um, I have a hard time not taking him. And then I look, I saw the man palm the basketball like he was picking up a lemon, a lemon head or something. I mean, he got his hands big as a. A real, I mean, just preposterous dimensions that he's working with out there, man. It's, it's a guy who's underrated. I think we've really underrated him because of the load management he went through during the regular season. We've forgotten how good Kawhi really is. Are you surprised that the second round of these playoff series have gone the way they're going? You're talking about the Portland and Denver right now. They're they're two for two. Uh, I think the the Sixers. And, uh, you know, Toronto, they're, they're going neck and neck. They're toe-to-toe with it. Are you surprised that it's this competitive this early? No, I, I thought we would see it like this. Um, we've been talking about the matchups in the conference semifinals, at least in the Eastern Conference for sure, for, for a while. We knew we were going to get some heavyweights. Uh, I think this Portland-Denver series has turned out to be even more competitive than people realize it would be. Two good teams don't have, you know, the kind of, uh, Q rating maybe that, that everybody else has right now, but certainly has been one of the, the more interesting series to watch. And you know, it's a matter of you got to lock in with a, with a team that knows your every move. You they know everything you're gonna do, mm-hmm. so they're already trying to take away what you want to do and, and what you do best. You still have to find a way to execute at the highest level against the. the best resistance you've probably seen all season because they're not preparing for some other opponent after they see you in this game on Tuesday night. It's you and that other team over and over again over the course of a couple weeks until you get to four wins. It's the most difficult time of year in the NBA. Sekou, can you uh, identify right now the the best team of the four in the East? No, I I can't. And, uh, and, And I wasn't sure who the best team was. Uh, going into this round, I, I was—I thought Boston might be playing the best, uh, you know, coming out of the first round. But, but they've certainly run into some issues trying to deal with Milwaukee. I think 
Milwaukee is the team I would have picked going in and the team that I thought was coming out of the East. But there was no guarantees with that. You know, this it's too competitive. I think the teams are all deep. They have star power, excellent coaches. Um, it's just a matter of who's going to execute. And I, I honestly think that whoever comes out of the East this year, guys, has the best chance to win in, in the finals that they've had in years. With the way Kawhi has played in the first two series of the postseason, as great as Kevin Durant is, yes, Kawhi is the best player in the NBA playoffs. And it makes you wonder, if they don't get out of the second round, is Kawhi as good as gone? Look, the Clippers are going to give him a wonderful pitch. He would get to go back home to California, live in Los Angeles, not have to deal with the LeBron and Laker chaos, be for a great owner and Steve Ballmer that everybody loves, have Jerry West in that room as well, who's an advisor here, and a Clippers team that was able to make the playoffs where the Lakers were not, and the Clippers got a couple of games against the Golden State Warriors in the first round. For now, he's a Raptor, and Toronto needs to be really happy that he is because he is doing it all, but he can't do it himself, although in game four, he came pretty darn close. That's going to do it for us. The best of your sports talk for Monday, May the 6th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.